In our parish mission statement, after we acknowledge being a family in Christ, uh, the first thing we say is that we love God and neighbor. So this is the, uh, the summary of the whole law, as Jesus says. He, he's not saying anything new, but he's distilling for his audience, right, the essence of uh, God's command to Israel. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole being and with your whole strength. And in our first reading, God speaking uh, to Israel specifies ways of loving one's neighbor. Right? God commands care for the alien, for the widow, for the orphan, and for the poor. I think it's easy for us to understand what it means to love our neighbor, even if we don't always do it well. We have an idea of what it's supposed to be. It may be harder for us to understand what does it mean to love God with our whole heart, all of our strength, our whole being. Well, there are three aspects of loving God that I want to talk about. The first is to enjoy God or to be satisfied with God. And this flows from perceiving God correctly. So that uh, citation I just gave you, right before it, right, and this is part of a prayer that pious Jews repeat several times a day. God says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Right? And therefore, love God. So Yahweh is God, and so what does that mean? That, that God is the ultimate good. God is the source of all that is good. God is the only one who is truly good. Everything and everyone else has goodness only that is to the extent they participate in the goodness of God. This is the truth of things. And this is why you may, there was a, someone went up to Jesus once and said, a good teacher, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now Jesus is God, so he's also good. But he wanted to make that point, right? That, that's the point he was trying to make. All goodness right, comes from God. And if we perceive that then, right, so we perceive it with our intellect and then our will uh, affirms that and desires it. So the second aspect of loving God is to, is to be in communion with God. Love does seek communion with the beloved. And the deepest communion we have with God is actually our union of wills. Since God's will is perfect, we love God by aligning our will to his. Jesus said, he said, my food is to do the will of my Father. And he said to his disciples, if you love me, you will do what I command. Finally, love seeks to make a gift of the self to the beloved through some form of sacrifice. What Jesus did for us, the martyrs wanted to do for Jesus. And that's kind of the perfection of being able to sacrifice for God. And yet everything else that we do uh, for God, everything else that we give up for God, that we give to God, right, is an expression of love. The Psalms poetically proclaim love for God. In Psalm 42, we hear, as a deer longs for running streams, my soul longs for you, O God, my soul thirsts for the living God. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to dwell in the Lord's house all the days of my life, to gaze on the Lord's beauty, to visit his temple. 
These are the words of someone who truly loves God. And do these resonate with you? You might say, Father, honestly, not really. (laughs) It is easier to love created things that are more immediately pleasing to our senses and to our emotions. And so our love is often distorted, disordered, and fragmented. Think about it this way. Imagine it's Valentine's Day and a husband buys for his wife a beautiful diamond necklace and he gives it to her and she's, she's so beautiful, she's just amazed by it. She puts it on you know, and goes into the mirror and just sees how beautiful it is around her neck. Right? So that's good to appreciate a gift that your beloved gives you. right? But imagine though, she's there staring for five minutes, 10 minutes, one hour, two hours. And her husband's like, honey, I made reservations for the restaurant. We're going to have a great romantic dinner. And she completely is ignoring him. Right? So this is an example of focusing on the gift at the expense of the giver. And this is what we do all the time. So we need to properly perceive God. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. We perceive Hmm? This truth. How can we do that? I'm going to offer three suggestions. First is to recognize in the moment and also later in reflection, recognize how every good that you enjoy in your life comes from God and how it participates in God's goodness and how it leads to ultimate and permanent union with God. When you are enjoying that in and out double-double with grilled onions, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. When you're having difficulty and there's a friend who just listens to you well and consoles you, realize you are experiencing the consolation of the Holy Spirit through that person, right? So everything is mediating the goodness of God to us. And if we can make that connection, then we can love God more. Second, we need to Remember and understand our story. So this story, right, is told in the Bible and in the lives of the saints. This is the big story, right? And this is why God would also, many times, when he would ask Israel to do something, he would say, listen, remember when you were in slavery in Egypt and I delivered you from that, right? So you immerse yourself in the story. You know, you read about... For example, the story of David and his, his great sin, right, with adultery and murder, but also his great repentance. And then you read Psalm 51, his expression of sorrow. And then you connect that with how merciful God is to you in the sacrament of reconciliation, right? And you realize this is, this is, this is the story that's being played out in my life as well. When we do that, we will be motivated to love God more. Finally, we need to make an effort to understand and appreciate the wisdom of God's will. Many times we know what the church teaches, and we may even say it like in a kind of negative sense, but we don't really make an effort to understand why. See, everything that God commands us is for our happiness, ultimately. God, all the suffering God permits, 
is so that he can bring about a greater good. All the thou shalt nots, all the no's, are at the service of a bigger yes. And perhaps the area in which most often we don't really make an effort to understand God's wisdom has to do with human sexuality. There are many voices, even in the church, that raise doubt about what God has clearly communicated to us about this gift of sexuality and the proper use of it. There are voices in the church today that echo the devil in the garden who said, did God really say that? Our understanding of what God has said can deepen, but it can never contradict what God has taught in the past. So, prayer and study are so important so that we can perceive the goodness of God so that we can love God better. Also, too, is involvement in a faith community because our perceptions are not merely individual. They are shared. If you're immersed, if your life is focused on secular friendships with people who don't have faith, if your life is focused in media, which is not imbued with the values of our faith, right? you will not perceive the goodness of God and you will not be able to love God very well. So one of the other things right, that, that God instructs through Moses to Israel, right? take to heart these words. Keep repeating them to your children. Recite them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on your arm and on your forehead. Write them on your doorpost. You think God thinks that we need reminders, right? Constantly, right? Constantly. Now, briefly, the second commandment, which is related to the first. When we perceive who our neighbor really is, made in the image and likeness of God, beloved by God, related to us as a brother or sister, of whom God, when he made them, said, it is very good, of whom God, especially our, those neighbors in great need, who, who God clearly has manifested his love for them, for our poor and suffering neighbors, when we perceive that, huh, then we can learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Our failures in loving God and neighbor derive, I think, primarily from our failure to perceive their true value. But if we really look and really listen, the question is not how can we love God with our whole being and our neighbors, ourselves, but how can we not?